Good day, Crime Talk aficionados. It is January 15th of 2024. And guess what? This is outrageous that at this time, John Pryor wants to get off of Chad DeBell's case. Brian Koberger gets another victory in court. Richard Allen wants to be moved again. He doesn't like the prison he's in. Rex Hewerman has legal troubles that are going to get bigger this week. A now former police officer is charged with sexual assault. He said he didn't intentionally rape her. If something is self-defense, you stay at the scene and you call the police immediately. Let me show you an example of what the police are saying is not self-defense. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Hi, lawyer. Lawyer. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. We are coming to you from a cold Crime Talk studio. It is a balmy negative five degrees outside here in Denver, Colorado. We hope you are staying warm. A couple of little housekeeping matters before we get to the docket. I was going through the comments, which I do quite frequently, and uh, we had a uh, fan here that said, Hey, my son, can you give him a shout out for his sixth birthday? His name is Braden Tyler. Well, there you go, Braden Tyler. Congratulations. Happy sixth birthday. May you have many, many more. Apparently, the dumb criminal of the day is uh, his, uh, his highlights of the day. So, congratulations, Braden Tyler. Happy birthday. All right. Before we get to the docket, you know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. And oh, don't forget that little bell. You say, mate, why does Scott say that little bell? The little bell is because when you go to YouTube jail, I think they disconnect all the people that hit the little bell. So hit it again. We appreciate you. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, get to today's docket. All right, ladies and gentlemen, first on the docket, this is outrageous. And you know what is more outrageous? I told John Pryor, way back when, when they decided to go death on this particular case that he needed to withdraw. Remember Lori Vallow had that crazy attorney that wasn't qualified, never done a felony case, at least from what we could tell from the Idaho practice standards and a statute that exists out there that I think you had to have like 10 felony trials under your belt and you were basically death qualified. Now John Pryor at this late hour files a motion files a motion asking to withdraw. And let's just get to the actual motion itself, okay? Because I think that is most relevant. This is the motion to withdraw. Pursuant to Idaho uh, uh, Criminal Rules 44.1, underside counsel hereby moves to withdraw as counsel from this case. Since May 25th of 2021, undersigned counsel has represented Mr. Daybell in this case and the related previous case under cause number 22-20-0755. Prior to that time, in that time, undersigned counsel has undertaken a sole counsel, all matters of representation, including obtaining and reviewing discovery, conducting investigation, and hiring and working with numerous experts. Mr. Daybell retained undersigned counsel with personal funds. At a hearing on January 19th of 2022, the court inquired of Mr. Daybell and declared him indigent pursuant to Idaho Code Section 19-851. Mr. Daybell does not have the ability to pay for counsel's continued service 
and Mr. Daybell seeks the appointment of two capital qualified attorneys to represent him in this matter. As this court is aware, this case is both extraordinarily complex and the prosecution is seeking the death penalty, which requires counsel to essentially prepare for two trials. See defendant's motion to continue the trial date to enforce Mr. Daybell's constitutional rights. Reflecting this complexity and the work required to prepare and try this case, this court has set aside two full months for a trial and the prosecution team consists of no less than five attorneys from two county offices, including an out-of-state attorney hired at taxpayers' expense. Remaining on this case would require undersigned counsel to work around the clock more than full-time for more than four months without compensation and without the assistance of any other counsel. This motion is made with Mr. Daybell's full consent. Mr. Daybell has requested from me that he be given two capital qualified attorneys for his trial. I have made a diligent effort to find a lawyer to assist in this matter for a significant amount of time. The attorney who I located and I agreed to try to get qualified has not yet been approved by the Public Defense Commission. The time for him to be of any assistance to me in preparing for this trial is long gone. Because Mr. Daybell is facing the death penalty and has determined indigent or hadn't, has been determined indigent, he is statutorily entitled to appointment of two counsel who are capital qualified at state expense. And that's the uh, statute 44.3B1A stating that two qualified trial attorneys must be appointed to represent an indigent defendant in any case in which the death penalty may be imposed. The Idaho State Public Defense Commission maintains a roster of capital qualified attorneys. While undersigned counsel could accept appointment to this case if it were non-capital because Mr. Daybell is facing a death penalty, undersigned counsel cannot be appointed pursuant to statute. The council therefore moves to withdraw. Now he gave this uh, notice uh, that on the 30th day of January, 2024, at uh, 9:30 a.m. Uh, and thereafter, as council may be heard, John Pryor, above named, will call this hearing for a matter to um, set the matter for a hearing, which the court has already done. Um, and specifically, what I think is interesting is that John Pryor attempted to file this under seal, and the court said, "Yeah, no." No, because remember, everything else is a big secret. Everything else is private. But here the court said, pursuant to the Idaho Court Administrative Rule 32, the court has determined that the motion to seal is not recognized as an exempt record under the rule. Further, in reviewing the request to seal and the underlying motion to withdraw as counsel, the court finds that the interest in public disclosure predominates over any claimed privacy interest in the filed pleadings. As such, the court directs the court clerk to file the motion to seal, the motion to withdraw as counsel, and the declaration of counsel in support of a motion to seal to the record and to publish the document in the state of Idaho cases of interest page. That's the judge's way of maybe a little public shame and humiliation. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when I saw this come out Friday afternoon, and I attempted, and I, I'm going to admit I didn't spend a ton of time on it just because I was doing other things. But we talked about this video where I say Chad Daybell has a duty to withdraw from this case if he doesn't think that he can do it. <laughs> Chad Daybell is in custody. He's technically indigent. He would easily qualify for the public defender. John Pryor, his attorney, needs to take a look at his qualifications and take remove himself from the ego the high profile nature of this case and say, hey, am I really qualified to do this case? 
I took a quick look at Mr. Pryor's website today. He says he does general misdemeanors and felonies, and uh, he has you know many years of experience, and I'm assuming he has at least 10 felony trials, which is kind of their uh, guidelines here. But um, I don't think that he's ever done a death penalty case, and normally, you know, they like to have the professionals at least co-counsel one before they are a lead chair uh, on the case. And I said that this is a case whereby it is a death penalty case. It is a full-time endeavor. It will ruin his law practice. And here we are just two months, three months away from trial, and suddenly he realizes, hey, I'm not going to get paid for the next four months because he's got a two-month trial, probably at least two months to prepare. And he basically says, I haven't been paid. Well, we know he got the house uh, from Chad Daybell. Where's that? Has he cashed in those proceeds yet? I don't think he sold the house yet, so he's sitting on it. If I was the judge in this particular case, I would be losing my mind. My head would probably explode. This case has been going on since May of 2021, coming up on the four-year mark, right? And we still haven't got this case to trial just yet. And now it will more than likely be delayed by yet another year because although I'm sure the judge would like to, he cannot force John Pryor into indentured servitude. But I think those monies would have run out long, long ago. Then the issue now is you have the defense counsel, Mr. Pryor saying, oh, I'm not even qualified. Couldn't even get on that list if I wanted to. Well, didn't you have, and like I mentioned way back when, wouldn't you have told that to the client? Hey, man, this is a death penalty case. Never done one of these. I think you need to, you know, uh, maybe get somebody that's at least second chaired one of these things. But he didn't do that. So we've gone through all this, and now he wants to get qualified attorneys to be on that list. We talked about this, ladies and gentlemen, years ago. Somebody's done a death penalty case. It takes up all of your time. It is a mitigation case. You, For them to go death, the prosecution has to be, feel very confident in their facts of their case. So it's mitigation to try to get it off the table. And it doesn't sound like he's done anything of this that needs to be done in a death penalty case. So the judge is in a spot. He would probably love to get this case resolved. Have John Pryor go try it. Single chair, go do it. But then it comes back on ineffective assistance grounds way down the road. So I hope the judge publicly admonishes and embarrasses John Pryor for this conduct. This is something that should have been done years ago. He should have withdrawn from the case. The same time, the Lori Daybell's, the Lori Vallow's other attorney who wasn't qualified to even do a felony case had the court found that he was not qualified and kicked him off the case. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Outrageous, but not surprising. What can you do? Can you imagine what Judge Boyce is saying right about now? I think he's saying, you didn't bring this motion up two years ago. He's going to, this is going to be televised. The uh, motion has already, the hearing has already been set. January 18th to 10 a.m. We'll probably have to break away from the Traconis trial to uh, bring this to you because I hope I hope that uh, John Pryor is embarrassed. He should have known this. He, he should have withdrawn months ago, but I think he thought that this was for somehow he's going to make fame and fortune. Never, ever. One of Scott Reich's rules of practicing law, 
never, ever take a case pro bono. It's never worth whatever you think you're going to get out of it. Fame, notoriety, more cases, it doesn't happen. You have a skill and you have time. That's all attorneys have. You need to be compensated for it. And if you can't, I'm sorry, they just need to go find somebody else. John Pryor screwed this one up big time. Next, another win for Brian Koberger. Prosecutors are going to have to turn over some of that genetic genealogy evidence used in the Brian Koberger investigation. The judge has ruled. Now, we won't know the extent of the discovery that's being turned over because there's a gag order and it's all been filed under seal. But in a public filing, the judge uh, put in an order that after reviewing the disputed evidence, a portion should be shared with the uh, defense team. And uh, that will be provided uh, in a protective order. That is in regards to the IgG, the Investigative Genetic Genealogy that the FBI used to create the profile and the family tree of Brian Koberger. Now, this is exactly what Brian Koberger's team wanted. And the prosecutors, as you may recall, had argued that the police use this IgG evidence to generate leads, but not to actually obtain any warrants in this case. And as a result, they didn't have to turn anything over. Because as you may recall, police recovered DNA from a K-bar knife sheath here under the body of 21-year-old victim Madison Mogan, who they had found stabbed uh, several times with wounds in the upstairs bedroom alongside her best friend's Kaylee Gonsalve. Now, investigators allegedly confirmed a match between a DNA sample on the sheath and Brian Koberger's cheek swab. But as you may recall, they developed the profile to go back to Koberger and put him as the suspect based upon the trash, the food that was from his parents' residence in Pennsylvania. So I said all along, the defense is probably entitled to all of that information. The fact that the judge gave a little, he should have said, give it everything. But the FBI, oh, we, didn't, we weren't involved, we didn't do it. No. If you touched it, if you put your hands on it, that is potentially exculpatory. If it goes through the investigation, it has to be turned over. And yet the prosecution always, always fights stuff like this. They, they always do it. And I don't understand why. And so they had to go through all this litigation only to turn it over. It may be worth nothing to the defense, but you're the prosecution. You're supposed to be the guys in the white hats. You should say, I don't care what you ask for. I'll give it to you, and we're still going to convict your guy. But what does the prosecution do? They always play games. They always play games, ladies and gentlemen. And then it looks like they're hiding something. It looks like they're doing something that just doesn't look or smell right. And then the defense is going to exploit it. Get off your righteous high horses prosecution and just do your job. Richard Allen, remember him, the guy accused in the Delphi homicides? Well, his new attorneys, Robert Scremen and William Labrado, his new two court-appointed attorneys, are asking the state of Indiana to transfer Mr. Allen after claiming that Mr. Allen is not being treated the same as other prisoners at his current location at the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility. And frankly, it's impacting their ability to represent him in court. So according to the uh, motion filed by Mr. Allen, who is obviously the suspect in the uh, February 2017 death of Abby Williams and Libby German near the Monon High Bridge in Delphi, Indiana, 
He was originally moved from the Westville Correctional Facility to the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility, which is apparently in Sullivan County, somewhere back in early December of 2023. Now, in a motion to transfer filed by the attorneys, they claim that Mr. Allen is not being treated similarly to other pretrial detainees that are being held in the county jail throughout the state. The team also claims that Allen's current location will seriously, if not fatally, impact counsel's ability to effectively represent Mr. Allen due to the distance of travel and the visitation conditions once they actually get there to the prison. Now, according to the motion to transfer, the team is asking for Mr. Allen to be transferred to the Allen County Jail or the Adams County Jail. Now, this is not the first time that the lawyers who have represented Mr. Allen have claimed that Mr. Allen has been treated differently than other pretrial detainees. Back in April of 2023, you may recall Allen's legal team at the time filed an emergency motion to modify the safekeeping order claiming that he was not being treated like other detainees. After that motion was denied, the court received a letter from an inmate at the Westville Correctional Facility claiming that Allen was being abused and mistreated. In the motion filed on Friday, the attorneys for Mr. Allen said that their offices are located in Fort Wayne, which was around 106 miles to the Westville Correctional Facility and around 233 miles to the Wabash Correctional Facility. Now, the legal team uh, detailed multiple visits with Allen at the facility that include lengthy travel, complicated and protracted prison security procedures, and a difficult visitation uh, conditions that they had to work in. They described that at the Westville Correctional Facility in November of 2023, that Allen was unnecessarily shackled and chained in a manner resembling Hannibal Lecter and clearly appeared intimidated by the uh, uh, guards there and was hesitant to speak freely with counsel. At the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility in December, the team claims that they spoke with Allen through an iron flap meant to serve prisoners food. The documents also claimed that the visitation would be monitored by video camera. Uh, the attorneys say that this arrangement made it impossible to show Allen any videos or documents or discuss the case with him without raising you know, their voices and almost shouting to read the documents. The attorneys note that in their 25 years of practicing law in five states, including representing numerous defendants charged with murder, that they have never had to conduct an in-custody consultation in such a fashion. Now, ultimately, the legal team stressed that uh, their experience, their consultations have never been recorded, and their clients have never been shackled, handcuffed, or chained during visits. The attorneys noted, I am often able to simply sit at a table with my client and have a conversation. But at the very least, I am able to sit directly across from my client and speak through a large plexiglass partition where we can view videos and documents. The legal team also stresses that there is an overwhelming amount of evidence that uh, Allen's pretrial treatment is not the same as uh, given to other detainees and that his current location will impact their ability to be an effective trial counsel for him. Now, Mr. Allen's trial is scheduled for October after it was initially scheduled to start this January. A uh, portion of the case surrounding Allen's request to reinstate his original defense team and the request to move, remove special Judge Fran Gull from the case is expected to be heard in the Indiana Supreme Court 
this month. I think also on the 18th. January 18th is a busy, busy day. Well, we'll bring it to you. We'll bring you all the information, ladies and gentlemen. So what can you say? Now, normally when somebody is held pre-trial, they don't go off to a prison. That must be something unique to Indiana. Normally people in uh, pre-trial detention remain at the county jail. Usually the county jail, you go in, you talk to the guy, uh, you sit in the little room, that's it. I've gone to many a prison. I've gone to a um, uh, federal prison, uh, ADX, where you know it's very secure. People come in shackled. Uh, the the uh, uh, correctional officers are sitting right outside your door. Sometimes there's videos, but apparently there's no sound. It's all part of the harassment package, so to speak. I've spoken with clients that have been in the SHU, the special housing unit, which is where you go when you don't play well with others. And you, they will be shackled, and you will literally be passing documents through a metal plate in the door. You deal with it. You get it done. I think the attorneys in uh, this case, in Mr. Allen's case, have done a, a correct thing, asking the court to correct it. But normally the courts don't get involved in conditions at a jail. They don't have the authority. It's a different branch of the government. Remember, the Department of Corrections fall under the governor's branch. And judges usually don't like to tell the executive branch how to do their job. We'll see. We'll see after the 18th who the attorney will be, and uh, maybe things will change. Next, Rex Heuerman. Guess what? His legal troubles are beginning to really mount now. So the accused Giglo Beach serial killer Rex Heuerman is expected to be charged this Tuesday, tomorrow, with a fourth count of murder for the death of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Now, Heuerman was named as the prime suspect in Brainerd Barnes' murder when he was charged over the other so-called Gilgo Four slains of various sex workers found strewn on the Long Island beach within days back in December of 2010. Now, Miss Brainerd Barnes uh, disappeared back in 2007 when she was only 25 and was found bound by a very distinctive belt stamped with the initials WH or HM, which could allegedly have belonged to Heerman's grandfather, William Heerman. Well, where was Mr. Heerman's grandfather at the time of these deaths? That's what I want to know. We'll have to see if they can create that link. Anyway, the district attorney states that they will announce the new charges once they have been unsealed in court. Like I said, Mr. Heerman was charged with murdering um, uh, Melissa Bartholomew and Amberlynn Costello and uh, Miss Waterman, whose bodies were found wrapped in burlap within days of each other near where Miss Brainerd Barnes' body was found. All four women believed to have been advertising as sex workers when they vanished between 2007 and 2010. And obviously that uh, investigation involved the arrest and discovery of at least 10 more sets of human remains along Ocean Parkway near the Gilgo Beach in Suffolk County between 2010 and 2011. Okay, um, next story. Police officer gone bad, no longer police officer. But wait until you hear his explanation. I didn't intentionally mean to sexually assault you, really? So a now former officer with the Steelton Borough Police Department has been suspended from his duties after being charged with rape. That seems reasonable, does it not? Pretty serious allegation. Now, according to the arrest affidavit and the charges filed by the state police, in Likens, Justin Hain of Likens allegedly raped the woman 
as she was feeding her child on January 10th. Now, Hain has been with the police department less than two months, and the DA noted in any field, there are going to be people who commit grievous offenses. And when that occurs, we need to take every action very quickly to ensure that they're not continuing to carry a gun and carry a badge and potentially abuse their power. I go along with that as well. Well, Mr. Hain, the uh, criminal complaint alleges, removed the towel and pinned the woman to her couch and then allegedly raped her. The woman said to police that she told Hain to stop and uh, was hit multiple times. She also told investigators that at one point, Hain pushed her head into the couch and she was not able to move. Now, after the assault, the woman waited for the officer, Mr. Hain, to go to work. Then, he was able, then she was able to go to a friend's home and ultimately called police. Now, later in the day, the uh, affidavit states that the woman called Mr. Hain, which was being surreptitiously recorded by the police. They're so tricky. And they confronted him about the alleged sexual assault. And Mr. Hain admitted to raping the woman. He said, quote, I didn't intentionally rape you. Hain apparently can be heard on the recording. He also repeatedly apologized. Not good fact, right? Because you don't apologize unless you've done something wrong. Well, at that point, Hain was immediately suspended from his duties. He faces multiple felony charges of involuntary, deviant sexual intercourse with forcible compulsion, rape with forcible compulsion, and sexual assault. He also faces misdemeanor charges for indecent assault with forcible compulsion and indecent assault without the consent of others, a.k.a. that's what they call Now, Mr. Hain is in the Dopen County uh, Detention Facility on a bail that's set at $50,000. He's yet to post that bail, and if he does post the bail, he can't have any contact with the complaining witness. He has a preliminary hearing scheduled for January 17th. Okay. Practice pointer here, ladies and gentlemen. If you harm somebody and it was done in self-defense, immediately call the police and tell them it was self-defense. Let me give you an example of what went wrong for a Florida woman who has been arrested for stabbing her elderly mother to death after detectives disputed her claim of self-defense. So Kelly Ann Oliver Tinsley waited seven hours after killing her mother to call 911 and then told the deputies that um, her mother attacked her. Now, Miss Tinsley showed the detective several lacerations to her legs and injuries to her right hand that she claims were caused by her mother, the dead woman. However, none of the injuries appeared consistent with defensive knife wounds, according to the deputy, as he put in his arrest affidavit. The mother, however, did have defensive wounds, according to the medical examiner. Now, the dead woman, the mom, had multiple wounds consistent with defensive knife wounds on her hands, left arm, right ankle, right knee, and neck, according to the affidavit. Now, Ms. Tinsley apparently called 911 at about 5.15 a.m. on Tuesday and said that she had stabbed her mother, but hung up when the police asked for a little more detail. When the deputies arrived roughly about 10 to 15 minutes later, they had to force their way inside the home where they found mom, deceased, under a blanket on the floor, inside the doorway, sitting on top of a pool of blood, while Miss Tinsley was lying awake on a pillow in the hallway facing the door. Tinsley told the uh, investigators, the police arrived, that her mother had told her Monday night she needed to find a bigger place to be a better mom. 
to which she jokingly replied, F that. Then she said the imam came at her with a knife and hit her in the mouth. The two struggled over the knife, and guess who ended up dead? Not Miss Tinsley, her mom. Now, Miss Tinsley held the blade of the knife to the decedent's neck and told her, quit coming after me, apparently. At which time, the decedent, the mom, still trying to attack her, causes Miss Tinsley to poke her in the neck. Apparently, the two kept fighting until Miss Tinsley noticed that her mom's uh, decedent's that her mom's eyes were changing. Ms. Tinsley then said that uh, she went to the laundry room and uh, changed clothes, washed her face and hands with water from the washing machine, and then covered her mother up in a blanket because the blood made her sick. Then she laid down, calling 911 seven hours later. Like I said, the police say that Ms. Tinsley had no injuries to her face, lips, or on the inside of her mouth. Miss Tinsley is charged with manslaughter. Rule of thumb, ladies and gentlemen, early and often. Remember, self-defense, you're saying I'm totally justified. You need to call the police immediately. Stay at the scene. Don't wait. Don't run away. Call them. I had to kill somebody in self-defense. Those are the magic words, ladies and gentlemen. Next, our dumb criminal of the day comes from the great state of Colorado. Now, we brought you this, but now we've got some pictures. So this uh, guy was apparently uh, caught carrying thousands of dollars of stolen merchandise, walked right into the police hands after he was caught trying to catch his Uber. Yep, that was his getaway car. Well, the burglar was ransacking a plumbing store in a Denver suburb here, which is called uh, Wheatridge, um, where the Uber driver was scheduled there to pick him up. Now, the store owner had called 911 after noticing a whole cut in the business fencing and caught surveillance footage of the thief inside the store. When the Wheat Ridge police arrived at the scene, they discovered the Uber driving waiting nearby. He told the police his passenger, Jose, was headed right for the car. Are you looking for an Uber? An officer can be heard asking the suspect in the body cam footage shared by the police department. Yep. The man wearing a uh, hood on his uh, black sweatshirt up and uh, pulled down his little scarf, uh, shoots his gaze sideways as he uh, hides his hands inside his pocket. Uh, no, 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 no Uber here. He then gives the officers the fake name of Raul as he takes several steps backwards um, away from the police. Well, the officers grab him and to assure that he's not trying to make a quick getaway, you know. Jose then doubles down on his innocence and claims he is simply on his way to his mother's house. Right? If you can't trust a man walking in the middle of the night to his mother's house, who can you trust? When told that he matched the description of a thief, he maintains he's not the man they're looking for, despite not carrying any identification to prove that he is, in fact, Raul. Well, needless to say, the officers opened up the backpack, I'm sure for officer safety reasons. And um, what do they find? Yeah, you can hear them saying this backpack is full of Milwaukee tools. Yep, that's what was missing. Inside, the cops found more than $8,600 worth of electric tools. Needless to say, Jose, or Raul, whatever you prefer, was taken into custody to confirm his real identity. And guess what? Rule of thumb, don't have the Uber driver pick you up the crime scene. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, I got even a better one. Don't take other people's stuff. 
So the uh, man actually did turn out to be uh, Jose, and he has a, a bunch of other charges. But don't worry, he was he was has given a two thousand uh, dollar bond, and uh, he has been released. I'm sure out going to mom's house in the middle of the night, looking for more tools to hire his attorney. All right, let me know what you think of John Pryor and all the other stories that we covered today. All right, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day, and remember, the Constitution matters.